Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 14 of The Display Show. I'm Brian Berkeley, your host for discussions with key industry leaders and influencers from around the display ecosystem. Today's guest is Florian Friedrich. Florian lives and works in the Munich area of Germany, where he is CEO of his company, FF Pictures. He is an expert on display testing, color grading, and high dynamic range technology, just to name a few areas. Among many roles, he is chair of the HDR subcommittee of the ICDM. Prior to FF Pictures, he ran an ISO-certified test laboratory, AVTOP, for about 20 years. Florian has collaborated with measurement device manufacturers such as Teledyne and Quantum Data. He has HDR remastered over two dozen movies, and he has unique understanding of display requirements for modern content. In our conversation, Florian and I talked about the latest trends in test patterns and why they shouldn't be static, looking for test content inspiration in everyday life, why the best camera is the one that's with you, a tour of FF Pictures post-production studio, and the new HDR content in the latest release of IDMS. Please don't forget to subscribe and hit the bell for notifications when new episodes are released. Now, on with the show. Florian, thanks for joining us today and welcome to The Display Show. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's such a pleasure to be on the show. I really like it. You know, I should mention several things. First, this is the first time that we've taped a guest outside of the U.S., so it's great to have you here. And another point is that you have created test patterns and content that are widely used in industry, and some of that is quite amazing, so we'll talk more about it in a moment. Um, you use some pretty amazing tools in your work, uh, uh, some of which you developed, uh, as well as a lot of hardware, and we can already see that in the background uh, just looking at you here. So we'll talk about that. And finally, you and I have worked together on the International Committee for Display Metrology, notably on the high dynamic range chapter that was just released in IDMS version 1.1. So that's still another area for us to discuss. Maybe we should start with your company, FF Pictures. Uh, please tell us about your company. Well, FF Pictures' main focus is um, related to everything that is innovative video. Um, it's important for me to understand the video from end to end, meaning uh, the complete chain uh, from image acquisition until it's at, uh, displayed at the display. And um, so let's say, for example, here's a new super bright HDR uh, TV with 8K resolution and a really, really nice display. We are there to support every step of uh, like showcasing what such a display can do, and that includes production of new video content or post-production. Uh, I'm personally quite active in the area of HDR remasterings. Um, and we're also offering post-production software, such as plugins or standalone software, related to QC and um, like static and dynamic metadata. All of that is really important when you uh, want to approach a new uh, kind of display. And uh, it ends with encoding services, so basically, you know, you get everything from end-to-end -end, um, acquisition to the final display, MP4 files, you know, to play with these things. And I personally enjoy all these tasks. Um, it's basically like, you know, sitting behind the most modern cameras you can find, uh, creating test patterns and defining new measurement standards, uh, creating software that's used by post-production houses worldwide, and 
like sitting in front of the really the best displays and 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 having the pleasure to shock people um, with an image quality they did not see before. So um, it's it's really so much fun to work in this field and uh, to make it short when it comes to innovative video and display technologies, FF Pictures is here to support. Well, that. That's a great overview and appreciate that. Uh, it sounds like you have a lot of clients and, and customers. In fact, I know that you do. Um, but one of the things that I saw and was, it was my first introduction to your work was some of the content that you've created. And you've created some pretty amazing imagery uh, to show off the capability of high performance displays, but also to test displays. And I thought it would be interesting for our viewers if we could talk about some of the video footage that you've created. If you could walk us through some of that and uh, just give us some samples, uh, talk about what's uh, uh, going on in each of these videos, um, and uh, tell us what you've uh, tell us about some of your creations. Okay, so maybe I should start with a little history of uh, of things. Um, uh, the most interesting part. I mean, I, st I started with test patterns integrated into, into TVs uh, quite a while ago. But the most interesting part is um, basically the HDR part. Because HDR, it was quite um, new in like 2015 is when I started to create the first HDR content. And um, uh, those contents were then used on trade shows to showcase uh, what the displays uh, can do. And um, in 2016, I did um, a UHD test and demo Blu-ray, for example, uh, with uh, test patterns and demo content. And that was then distributed by, by Samsung to reviewers worldwide in order to allow them uh, reviewing HDR devices, including basic adjustments that are necessary, of course. You know, you, you want to see HDR at its best. And, and therefore, especially in the beginnings of, um, of HDR, it was very, very necessary to tweak it a little bit, uh, because we, we have to see that uh, TV and HDR TV is, is always like maxing out what, what, he can, what the, the device can do. So, so taking brightness to its full extent and, and, and the shadow detail to its full extent, using uh, the, the color volume that's there. And that's, that's why you need some test patterns and demo material to to find out what the display uh, can do. And um, back then, there wasn't even like support in editing systems or affordable encoding tools um, for creating these contents. And that's why I started to create things, uh, own tools like the HDR Fury, which was an external uh, device for injection of HDR info frames and other products like the HDR generator from uh, Quantum Data. Um, uh, yeah, and, but let's to take a look at newer contents. Um, it, a lot of the work that I'm doing is for like manufacturers, so, so it doesn't carry my name on it. It's, it's you know, basically for the manufacturers to showcase uh, their uh, products. But um, I, can, I can show you a, a couple of things here in the, in the background, um, a couple of examples. Let me mention something so, for, our, for our viewers, too. Uh, because while you're playing these videos, I should mention that we're challenged within the limits of standard dynamic range signaling uh, and also, honestly, the limits of our viewers' displays. Uh, 
uh, to faithfully reproduce the original content. Uh, but I will say that I've seen much of this content on a modern HDR display, and it's quite impressive. Uh, so go ahead and show us. Thank you. Thank you. So just a few examples. Um, first of all, we can look at, I'm starting it here. We can look at a, a, a test pattern. Maybe I'll stop it for a short while. Um, I do have the opinion that if you are using test patterns, you can't use static test patterns anymore because TVs are reacting to, to static test patterns in a way that is actually, um, you know, they are dimming down uh, to save energy, to avoid burn in such things. And, you know, when you then use a test pattern that's static, you're, you're seeing all these effects, but you're not interested in these effects, you're interested in the image quality. So therefore, a test pattern has to be in motion. And um, I'm not a fan of static test patterns anymore. So, so what I've done here is, you know, basically using a, a test pattern with aluminum steps and then steps in the shadows and, and highlights of the, um, of the image. Uh, of course, we are a little bit limited here because the SDR recording that we are doing can't quite keep up with what the displays are doing in the back here. But, um, you know, this combination of using technical elements to calibrate the display, I shouldn't say calibrate because calibration is involving measurement devices. It's more like tuning, okay? So it's the things that you can do with your brightness control, with your contrast control, with your um, saturation control. Um, if, you, if you combine these elements, these technical elements with motion picture, you're seeing more of what the display can, can really do instead of you know, looking at a static test pattern. So this is called the Schnelltest. And this uh, Schnelltest, um, Schnell is fast, of course, it's a German word. And um, uh, all people who I you know, told this name is Schnelltest, you know, once, you, once you say Schnell means fast, uh, it's quite a nice name. So, so I kept it even for like international purposes. And um, you, can, you can find this um, uh, already for download um, as part of a motion picture sequence I did um, uh, to, together with um, a French friend, um, uh, Le Labo DJ. And, um, you know, Jay has published uh, some, some videos in different HDR formats, and I helped with that. Uh, so, so you can download these for free. Um, and, and these videos have this Schnelltest pattern and have some demo footage in it as well. So we can walk a little bit uh, through some kind of this demo footage. We'll walk uh, through what I did. Um, Actually, what I'd like to do is to get the URL from you, and then uh, we'll put it up here uh, where people can find it. It's a free download, and you know the idea was you have all these different HDR formats, right? And there's a lot of confusion about here, here is Dolby Vision, here is HDR10, here is HDR10+, and the device always reacts differently. So we wanted to have a sequence that is actually covering all the different standards. Um, so you can see what your TV is doing in all these different um, standards and formats, so to say. Oh, does it actually change the metadata accordingly, depending upon uh, well, the it's, format? It's uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> HDR is always in need of correct metadata, but when you compare HLG and PQ, those are 
completely different signal formats as well. It's not only the metadata. So we had to, um, we had to adjust the content accordingly to, to convert it from H, uh, basically the master was PQ, and then we converted it to uh, HLG versions and SDR versions. So, so yes, metadata meta and different uh, signals. As we're looking at these test images, um, what's the idea? Are you trying to push the display to its limits? Or are, you, are you trying to show off the color capability? Yeah, that, that, that is actually that is a good question because people always wonder, you know, what signal should I use in order to test a display um, and in order to, to see what the display can do, basically. And I would compare this situation with uh, testing a car. You can you can use um, you can use a lot of horsepower, but have no torque, for example. So, in other words, what you need to do is you need to challenge the display. You need to challenge it in a way where you where you can see what kind of differentiation in the highlights is there, what kind of differentiation in the shadows is there, uh, where the colors are getting saturated, where the uh, colors are, you know, too unsaturated, so to say. Um, there is a better English word for it. Um, and uh, basically, challenging the display is, is the basic idea behind it, because um, that's the only way to find out what a display uh, can do. And therefore, you know, when you look at these contents, you'll always find elements where we see highlights in the clouds, where we see differentiation here in the stamps. Those stamps are recorded with a very high luminance shining a very bright light sh shining on these uh, stems. And um, in, for example, if your device has aggressive tone mapping going on, yeah, um, then, then you don't see any differ differentiation anymore. Your colors, there is on, on these paper stems, for example, there are tiny little differentiation um, elements of, of, of color. And if you don't see them anymore, if they are like one surface, then it is um, not. It is obviously not right. Well, you can see then if the tone curve, for instance, gets crushed uh, at, at at one range, uh, or if the low grays just merge to black or one low gray level, as opposed to degrees of uh, uh, distinctive gray levels, um, and so that's really helpful. So Florian, what gave you the idea to shoot these particular scenes? I'm kind of looking yeah, at your, always, your your creative process for testing. Yeah, it's, it's it's always interesting because once you start shooting videos for display tests, and once you start, you know, understanding all the the different types of signals and what drives a display crazy, for example, um, you walk through nature. And, and see real life situations. And, and at least for me, there's a thought, oh, could a display do that contrast? Could a display do you know, that color? And then I get an idea of, oh, I, ha I have to bring my camera and shoot this because I want to know if the display can do it. And um, then it's also a situation where you say, oh, this doesn't look right on the display. Is it the content or is it the display? So let's shoot something similar in order to understand where the problem is. So, you know, these things just happen to me and, and that's where my ideas come from. Well, 
That brings up another question. When you talk about the camera that you used, what kind of equipment did you use to shoot uh, these videos? So it's, that's a downside. You always have to, to use like the latest and greatest equipment, uh, which means you have to, to, to stay up to date. Um, for a long time, I used the Sony F65. Um, uh, so basically, it's all, all I'm using are all the cameras I'm using are cinema cameras, digital cinema cameras. So after the F65, I moved over to the Red Ranger um, 8K, uh, which is a Super 35 helium, you know, the helium sensor from Red. And now I added the Blackmagic 12K camera. And so that's it from like on, on the shooting side of things. Um, of course, you know, you have to have lenses um, that are appropriate for the camera. Uh, I'm 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 a big fan of uh, the Fujinon uh, lenses. Maybe I shouldn't uh, name uh, the manufacturers here, but uh, it, 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 those, those zoom lenses are pretty good from from like start starting point um, to to maximum zoom, um, wide angle to maximum zoom. Uh, you have like constant image quality, and um, I like this technical um, technically like perfect lenses. That's something I'm searching for um, always. And, and there are some very, very good photo lenses as well. Like, you, you know, if, if you say, oh, I want to shoot on a camera and I don't want to get a Fujinon zoom lens uh, because it's too heavy, maybe anyway, there are a good amount of prime lenses, like from photo um, uh, purposes, um, that are doing a quite good job. Uh, you just can't play good enough with um, focus and and the aperture for in some situations. But if you can live with these limits, that's that's fine as well. And you know that's that's the kind of image acquisition equipment I'm using. And then of course, when you are in a scene, when it's an indoor scene, you have to to use uh, uh, lights, a lot of lights. Um, sometimes it's kilowatts of <laughs> light that you need to use. Um, so for example, recently I did shoot a commercial and um, we prepared the whole house uh, with, with lights and, and did build new ceilings um, and, and, and furniture. It's specifically for like shading the light and bringing the light into the scene. And that is, uh, you know, those are the challenges if you have specific types of content in mind. But um, other than that, you know, it, for example, if I shoot macro, then it, I'm now using a CNC machine um, where I can I can adjust the position to like a micron um, uh, accuracy, and that is you know it's, you could use it for microscopy, but shooting you know shooting uh, 8K uh, macro objects with uh, something like that as well. Um, and that's actually something I, I used for the gold coin. Maybe we, we talk about this uh, gold coin later on. But um, it is, you know, that's, it, it's always a uh, very interesting kind of challenge to find the right gear for the job. And um, it's, it's fun for me. Not, not, only, after... not only the image capture, but I think you're also uh, doing a lot of uh, image processing, where you're doing grading and uh, encoding and then writing the metadata values too. Uh, so um, what kind of equipment are you using to do that? 
Yeah. So so when it when once you have everything recorded on your terabytes of you know terabytes terabytes of recordings on your cards basically because that's what what's happening when you when you record 8K 60P uh, raw you know then you need to put it into a system that is capable of of this data throughput and um, so I'm using an, a 10 gigabit um, uh, NAS system you know where where I have effective data rates of a gigabyte per second. Um, even on several hundreds of tera uh, terabytes of, um, of, 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 of data storage. Yeah? So, so um, it, is, it is easy to get quick, you, to get fast performance on small cards. Like you can purchase SSDs and so on, but once you have to have a big storage, like several hundreds of terabytes, then it's a little bit harder because you know it's 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 just uh, regular hard drive, mechanical hard drives. Now I guess your question is more like the post-processing uh, environment. Uh, I'm using Resolve, DaVinci Resolve a lot, and DaVinci Resolve is a color grading uh, tool basically, and um, it it can load all the different um, data sets from the camera, the different raw formats and manage them pretty well. Uh, so it is a so-called you know, color-managed um, uh, system, meaning the system is aware of what color comes in. If it's not aware, you can manually select it. You can, for example, say, oh, this footage that I just imported is in the red RAW format, and it, is, um, you know, it has this um, uh, uh, characteristic of, of color and EOTF, um, OETF, OK? So once, once you have defined these characteristics, uh, the resolve system is completely aware of you know, what, what's in the signal and basically working in a linear light space. Um, and you can do all the adjustments that are needed in order to um, convert it to the final output format because you always have to see what the camera captures is completely different to what the display um, shows. So yes, in 709 recordings, uh, it's, it's kind of uh, different. But when you are into raw recording and, and want to um, bring the full potential of, of these raw recordings to the display, you have to do some, some kind of mapping. You know, all the things that we are talking about in, in display technology, basically, tone mapping that's going on. Um, it, something like that has to happen when you bring raw content to the um, to the color grading system as well because you know we are always talking about here's one dynamic range and that might be bigger than another dynamic range so you have to do something you have to to map colors you have to map the, um, the, the, the luminance ranges you know the, the whole dynamic range basically and there are always ways of doing it technically perfect like it, direct mapping from one format to the other, but since the capabilities of these formats are most likely different, you will lose something. So, so, so then there is the more like creative process of, of tone mapping that's going on in, in color grading as well as on, on the television side. You know, the, the TV knows, oh, I have a, a lower dynamic range than what the signal is, so I have to do something about it. And now I'm, I'm tone mapping it. I'm maybe 
using psychovisual models even you know to 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 do these uh, mappings you know it's that that's kind of complex uh area and uh well it's, it and sounds it sounds hugely complex uh and uh so you're doing a combination of uh analysis of the signal uh uh different tone mapping depending upon targets uh and uh, it just sounds like a whole huge amount of uh, expertise and know-how is wrapped up into uh, how to post-process uh, the raw footage that you shoot. Um, yeah, I think we could probably make a video uh, that would talk all about just that part of the process. But let, let, let's talk about another one of your videos. Uh, there's, you had mentioned this gold coin video. And... Um, Maybe you can walk us through that and talk about why this is challenging um, and why you have this particular target. Yes. Um, yes. Ah, there it is. There it is. And I will just quickly change to this clip only and loop it. Okay. So it, well, this specific part of it basically looks like a still picture zoomed in. Um, but it's it's more complex. I should have picked another scene where we, we where we see the light surrounding the coin. Um, because basically, what happened was um, you know this is an Indian gold coin from a museum here in um, in Munich, and it's it's very expensive because it's it's a unique piece. It is it is like in the, worth a hundred thousand or so, you know. And and you know if you can name these artifacts, if you can name a price for these artifacts. Um, but the, the challenging part was to like digi-size uh, what the coin um, is all about, what you know, the structure of the coin, coin is and the color. And also I found out that gold is a very challenging color. Why is gold a very challenging color when it is at, at high uh, levels of luminance? That was a quite interesting side, like side finding, you know, that that I that I had. Um, the gold did not appear well on all displays. So, so why is that? And and the answer is then a technical answer. The answer is if you look at um, if you look at how an RGB matrix um, combines the colors to white, you will see that the highest percentage. Um, of luminance comes from green. The second highest percentage of luminance comes from from red, and then you know the the lowest comes from from blue. If you combine green and red, you get yellow, right? And um, now this yellow is is actually because it is combined um, of red and green. Uh, it is the brightest color that you can find. It is. Um, so therefore, it is challenging for everything related to color volume. Now, yellow well, is it's something at least the brightest. It's at least the brightest saturated color. It's the brightest saturated color. Yes. So if you have unsaturated colors and going towards the white point, of course, you get higher luminance levels. Um, but but in, in terms of like saturated colors, yellow is is really the most challenging one. Now. Yellow is relative because you know we don't have so many references for 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 yellow. But but gold is is very close to, to to yellow, and we have some basic understanding of how gold should look like. And then there's also like 
the reflections that gold has. So, so we can go in gold, we can go from, from uh, a color that is, it is dark to the same color, very bright. And we can immediately see if something goes wrong. Like for example, if it's, if the reflection is desaturated and only white, or if it's tilted like towards greenish or so. So I found that that gold was, you know, this was like an eye opener for me to see gold on, on, on different uh, uh, displays. I found it very challenging. So, you know, that's why it is one of my favorite elements in, in, in checking out new displays. Well, and, and I see a lot going on in that video that's playing behind you too. There's um, so many levels of luminance going from dark uh, shaded areas to absolute highlights. Uh, with this very saturated color. So that's, that's uh, indeed interesting. Let me ask you something. Uh, not everybody has access to, in fact, most people don't have access to the kind of gear that uh, is surrounding you. And I'm gonna actually talk about that in a moment, ask you about it. But if somebody wants to create a video like this, and let's say they have an iPhone 13, uh, but they don't have all of this, uh, or maybe not quite as much uh, gear, can you share any tips to guide them as to how to make good test videos uh, at obviously not as professional of a level, but at least something that's useful to test displays? Well, I have, I have to say that when I look what your phone can do, and your, your example of the iPhone is, is really a good one. Um, I, I got an iPhone 13 Pro by myself, you know, recording in HLG, having a display, that um, that is is very bright and and has a lot of um, uh, color gamut, um, and then on top of it there is Dolby Vision Dynamic Metadata. It is it is kind of shocking, you know, to see that a couple of years ago, like in 2015, HDR was so complicated to do, and no tools were existing, but now it's like around every corner, you know, and and it is possible to, to do good videos um, with even those devices. Of course, we have restrictions in you know, light situations. Um, it, 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 still, the capability of recording dynamic range and, and low light is somewhat limited. It's, it's funny to see how much artificial intelligence is now used to enhance what the sensors can do and I would say successfully done um, to enhance what the sensors can do. Um, but my basic tip would be, you know, play around. There are cheap cameras. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the iPhone will get, you can call the iPhone cheap or not, but, you know, compared to other cameras, like when, when I talk about the red camera, we're talking about 30,000 bucks plus, you know, a lot of additional gears that you need, and then you're at like 60,000 bucks. And, um, and then compare that with uh, an iPhone or maybe two or three iPhones that's so much cheaper. Uh, or compare it with, like, here's the Blackmagic um, 6K camera. Uh, you probably don't need 8K. Um, this um, camera here is, you know, uh, is a Blackmagic 6K camera connected with a HD connection to the computer. Um, and um, I, I like this, you know, I like this kind of cheaper gear as well because I, I used to learn that the best camera is always the camera you have with you, okay? So, so if, if, if you see a good situation and, and if you want to capture a nice sunset and everything, 
and you don't have the camera. It's worth nothing, okay? So it's better to have like the, the, the iPhone with you and potentially recording in progress in the near future with a lot of data rate because you know compression is always a problem with these consumer devices. When a manufacturer tells you, oh, we have 10-bit, we have you know HLG profile in our recording, and then we can record at 100 megabit. I'm kind of bored because you know, this is still a lot of compression. When you want to do something with the signal later on, you, you, you have bending, you have, um, you know, then there is a waterfall, something where, where there is a lot of movement. And you have these compression artifacts. And they are just in the picture. And, and not too much what you can do about it. But basically, um, if you know about these issues, if you know about um, where the limits of a specific camera are, then you can work around and, and always think about, okay, what else could I record that would be challenging the display? And basically, I have the feeling that most people who record video at home don't look at it on the big screen. Um, so, so it's mostly viewed at the small screen. So one basic advice would be, you know, use more of your content and connect it to the TV to see what the TV is doing with it. Um, and if you see content on, on Ultra HD Blu-ray or you know, in, on, on, on one of the OTT services that looks kind of weird, try to mimic it. I mean, there are uh, always ways to, you know, to find out what uh, a display is doing, but be warned, um, there are a lot of um, traps Okay, so sometimes you think, oh, the display is doing this and that, and then you realize that's the recording, or that's your encoding, or that's the metadata. You know, it's it's a whole ecosystem. I would like to compare this again with a car. Um, a car is is you know a car with a lot of horsepower isn't isn't a good car if it doesn't have torque. So so if you have torque and no horsepower, it, it doesn't work as well. So it's always the whole chain that counts. Um, you and I have had various video calls in our work together. And um, then as now, uh, as we look around your office, I've always been impressed by the gear that you have there. Uh, and, and I think our viewers can see that just based on what's in the background. Um, can you give us a quick tour uh, of your production suite there at FF Pictures and uh, tell our viewers about the gear that you're using? Sure. Um, so, you know, what we see here is basically the post-production area. It's one of the uh, setups for, for the post-production. It's the main setup where I do my HDR remasterings uh, for, for movies as well. Um, and basically, the most important tool that I'm using here is uh, the Sony um, HX310 uh, monitor behind me. It's just a small small little um, uh, device in the, in, the, in the middle of these two monitors and below the big one. But, but, but don't let the size fool you. That's an expensive piece of gear. That is, yes, <laughs> it is. You know, it is in the area of like 35K. Uh, okay, this is, this is a solid investment. But here comes the, comes the point. It is a display like no other display, in, in, in my opinion. Of course, there is, um, you know, uh, uh, ISO, for example, using the same uh, panel, um, which is from Panasonic, actually. Um, but 
it's a dual layer LCD. Okay, it is only 31 inches of diagonal. It's dual layer LCD, meaning there is one layer for the picture, and then there is another layer for for the local dimming. So you can you can dim down the um, uh, the, the, the light to the um, to to the uh, to the pixel to the single pixel, and and uh, we have two layers of LCD, and each one has like a thousand to one contrast. Now you can multiply a thousand with a thousand, and now you have one million to one native contrast. And I mean, it, there is a massive backlight behind this monitor. It, it, is, it is so bright. I mean, it's full screen, 1000 nit, and there is, there is some, I would say, reserve here. You know, it's still, um, it is because it is a calibrated, color correct 1000 nit. It's not shifting to, towards another color. It's still like D65 1000 nit. So there is uh, physically more light behind the panel. And now, um, if 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 you if you see this um, if you see this image, you are in a black room. Okay, you turn off all the lights. The backlight is fully on. You show up a black picture, and and the display is black. Okay, so this is <laughs> this is shocking when you see it for the first time. You know, and and it it still has this capability of. Of um, you can switch in between different signal standards, for example. So no matter if you want to um, see uh, 709 with 100 nit, or if you want to see uh, PQ with up to 1,000 nit, and um, if you want to use the P3 or the BT2020 container, uh, the display can do all of that. Of course, restricted to its single. Uh, uh, to its 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 primaries. Okay, so red, green, and blue have their native. Um, uh, colors at the uh, P3 coordinates, approximately. Um, but you know, I love this. This is for me the most important piece of gear um, because it comes very close to the theoretical display, um, and um, I can have a feeling of what the signal is like, and not what a, you know a TV is doing with it. I, I want to see the signal when I'm influencing the signal. First thing I want to see. Is you know the signal itself, uh, no banding. I don't want to see that you know here is here is banding when there is no banding in the signal. I need something that is transparent, transparent to you know to show what the signal is 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 all about. So this is all this is almost like your frictionless table um, here. Um, it, it's uh, as close as you can get to showing what the real signal uh, is actually looking yeah. like without all of the other. Yes. Uh, negative artifacts that can come that are common to all displays. Um, uh, it just it happens, but uh, uh, that's so that's kind of your starting point to get a sense of what the signal really looks like. But tell me about like all, all these other tools. You've got calibration tools. I see tons of computers. Uh, you've got a little control console. Uh, what are all these things? Okay, so um, the computers are basically behind the wall. I did put them behind the wall because you know you, with all these server fans and and uh, you know the the computer is like a sixty four core um, PC. I'm you know doing most of uh, the work on on, a, on Windows and um, uh, Nvidia graphic cards. All of that needs to have a lot of horsepower and memory. 
So, you know, I'm still working on a like more than a year old system, which is in, you know, in terms of uh, grading and, and editing and, and uh, encoding the uh, highest resolution um, video contents is seems like a little bit old, you know, because you have basically every every new year you need to have a new computer. But um, it has like 128 gigabytes of RAM, and and then there's uh, 24 gigabytes of RAM on the on the graphics card. And there are these um, NAS systems, um, so the, all the storage that is connected using the 10 gigabit Ethernet. Then I have a separate machine for for encoding because I don't want to do it on the on the main machine. Uh, basically, it's better you know to to just let it run. You know, once the encoding starts. Don't touch the computer. Let it run until the encoding is done. Um, multiple passes and so on. So I'm I'm using I'm using all that kind of of, of computer gear, and um, it's 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 crucial to have a reliable system, so to say, because sometimes you do like when I do an encoding for for Dolby Vision, you know, on Ultra HD Blu-ray, the workflow of encoding this uh, a movie title might take a week. We talk about potentially 10 terabytes of data or more for just a single movie. Um, because there are, like here is a uncompressed version of the, of the base layer and that gets compared against an uncompressed um, uh, uh, version of the original and then the enhancement layer is created you know, such processes are going on. And sometimes, even with very fast computers, it takes a week. It, <laughs> and and you, don't want, you don't want to have these things on your main machine. So, so you need a separate machine for, for, for this kind of stuff. Um, I notice also that you've got, uh, it, it's a great TV, but it is a conventional TV. Uh, it's a high-end ah. TV display in your suite. So, why don't you tell us why you have that TV in addition to the mastering monitor? Good point, yes. Um, so when you look at that mastering monitor, it is, it is for me like, like a perfect display, okay? I've, there's nothing like it, but it's only 32 inches, right? So when you look at aspects like resolution, um, it's better to look at it on a big screen. It, it makes much more sense to look at you know what your details are like on a, on a big screen and, and the cinematic experience is better on a big screen as well so no matter if i get very very close to this mastering monitor it is still not really cinematic to me um, i mean it is it is shocking how good it is and how what it can do with even photos and everything but it is not the cinematic experience that i'm you know sometimes uh, looking at um, or want to look at. And also, uh, a consumer device in, in, in a color grading setup makes a lot of sense. Um, and I actually have multiple consumer devices um, where I, you know, a cheap entry level model LCD, um, high end model LCD, OLED, and, you know, all these different types of displays. Because once you've done some content, once you've encoded it, you want to see how it looks like on different displays. And um, having it connected to the color grading system at the same time where the mastering monitor is connected to the, master, to the, to the color grading system um, helps a great deal in you know, previewing 
how compromised the content might be in a consumer's home. Of course, the, all that is, 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 is calibrated as well. So this, um, uh, I'm using a CS2000 to, and, and Kelman um, to calibrate it. And it, I mean, it's beauty to, that, that you can do like uh, uh, an upload of lookup tables to the TV, things like that. I mean, this, isn't it fascinating in what kind of time we're living in? Uh, it is, it, you know, we have all these possibilities of, of making things better. And, and achieving a, a nicer image. So, I mean, I see colorists working on consumer electronics devices only. It's not what I would suggest to do, uh, because as said, I wanna, I wanna look at the signal itself. I don't wanna see halation. I don't wanna see APL restrictions like on some of the displays out there, um, uh, because that would, you know, lose my I would lose my understanding of what the signal is like and and I would basically cover up um, some or limit what what I can do with the signal so but so, I, but I've got a question for you um, does what you see on the uh, consumer TV ever affect your decisions at the mastering suite well <laughs> that that is a good one as well because in in the starting of my HDR remasterings, and I've done you know quite a lot of them um, uh, recently in the in the recent year, um, so it's it's about two dozen of uh, HDR remasterings of of, of uh, real motion picture films. Um, it, we had situations where the disc came out, and then people would say, "Oh, the signal is clipped. What did they do? Why is the signal clipped?" And then I looked at the signal and said, oh, no, the signal is fine. I showed everyone, and it turned out that, uh, that the tone mapping of the TV was causing these kind of clipping effects, right? So sometimes people are using old gear. Sometimes people are using newer gear. But anyway, you need to have an understanding of how much is potentially lost with consumer devices uh, in order to do a better job where more people are happy. I would say, hey, let's take it to the limits all the time, right? Let's, let's expect any consumer display to keep up with the capabilities of the mastering monitor. But then, you know, we're not quite there yet. We need, we need the dynamic metadata to close the gap in between what the consumer device can do and what the mastering monitor can do. Uh, and, and until all of that works quite nicely, um, I have to, you know, accept that there are some, some limits in what I do. One of the tools you've developed, in addition to all this hardware, uh, is your HDR picture analysis software. And I think you call it HDR Master 8K. Um, yes. What does this tool do, and, and how can interested viewers get their hands on it? Hmm. Yeah, HDR Master 8K is, um, is basically a tool that I created when there was no easy way to inject the necessary HDR metadata into um, HDR deliverables, into these files that are being played with the TVs. So back then it was called SEI Edit, and it was developed to, you know, to add this metadata, static metadata main, mainly. To, um, to the video clips. Now, 
over time, you know, I added more features like, um, you know, calculation of max CLL and max fall, and, and then image quality analysis things like, you know, here's a CIE diagram. And eventually, over time, I added the HDR 10 plus metadata um, creation tool. So it's now used by, by post-production houses worldwide in order to QC um, their HDR deliverables and add the needed metadata for HDR or dynamic uh, metadata for HDR 10 plus. Compared to, to most tools um, that you can find out there for like adding these um, types of metadata and first of all, the, the necessary image analysis. It is very cheap. It is, it is at 600 bucks right now. And I'm actually considering, and I haven't told this anyone yet, but I'm considering to make a, a cheaper version for 200 bucks um, very soon, where you can um, basically do the most necessary tasks like calculation of max CLL, max fall, and adding HDR10 plus dynamic metadata. So, you know, that would then be a tool where anyone uh, interested can, can afford it. I should mention here that you recently created a great video called HDR for Nerds, Mastering Monitor, OLED, Neo QLED, HDR10 Plus, and Dolby Vision. It's not a long video, but it covers a lot of ground. And we're going to go ahead and put up the URL here. And in this video's notes, uh, we'll mention it as well to enable viewers to find it. And uh, by the way, thank you for creating that informative video. Um, our last episode, which was number 13, featured Michael Zink of WarnerMedia. And toward the end of that episode, I showed this graphic from the latest release of the Information Display Measurement Standard, which we worked on together and we simply refer to as IDMS. Um, it's, it's this one. And of course, Mike's work is at the front end of that flow, uh, that of the content creation. It seems like your work spans the entire pipeline, uh, at least right up to the point of the display. Uh, is that right? Yeah. Um, first of all, I want to say that I watched this episode and I found it was very good and informative. And that's, you know, after you asked me to, to join for this episode, I, was, I felt really honored because, you know, it's, it's those kind of videos that I enjoy watching and learning from because, you know, there's always a limit of, of, of what you can find out on your own. And, and then there are sometimes our only ideas to, to, to follow up and, um, you know, dive in deeper, more deeply. So I found this episode uh, quite informative and, and providing a lot of in-depth information. Uh, so, so, yeah. Thank you for doing that. My approach is more from end to end. Um, so I want to look at all the aspects of image creation to the final deliverable. And that, as said initially, that is just great fun for me. And then it, it makes so much difference if you can understand all the different pieces in, these, in this complex gear to make something you know, that you like. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the latest IDMS. Um, again, that's Information Display Measurement Standard, and it was developed by the International Committee for Display Metrology, uh, or ICDM for short, which is part of the SID. Uh, you and I work together on the ICDM, uh, as, uh, and, and we're working together now because you're the chair of the ICDM 
HDR subcommittee. Uh, and, and I have been participating on that subcommittee as well. The latest version of IDMS, we just released it a few months ago in July, and it included a new HDR chapter. Uh, so you and Timo Kunkel uh, recently wrote an article in SID's Information Display Magazine. And in that, you describe the new HDR content in the IDMS. Uh, we'll go ahead and provide a link to that article here. But in the meantime, can you take us through some of the highlights of the new HDR chapter? Of course. Um, I truly believe it's a must read for anyone involved into HDR. We define some uh, terminology and a test signal format uh, where, for example, one term is a theoretical display. And uh, we, we take care about uh, different sets of uh, metadata, what they do uh, with the image. Basically, everything uh, the metrologist needs to know before even starting to make measurements. And I think we found some new approaches, um, even like technical considerations why we, why we need HDR. We name interdependencies or, let's say, influencing factors that change what a display does or doesn't do. And um, we differentiated in between a video signal without context um, and a display referred signal describing the theoretical display. In other words, everything you need to know before even starting the measurements. This is a huge uh, update. And I'll, I'll mention this is a completely new chapter. And actually, IDMS had not been updated since 2012. So HDR was one of uh, three, I think, different chapters that were added uh, in this new release. Uh, so we certainly encourage uh, folks to go and uh, take a look at it, and once again, we'll put up the link uh, where anybody can freely download uh, the new IDMS. Um, let me mention also that the new IDMS uh, also includes a, a comprehensive uh, HDR tutorial. And it's, it's hard to summarize that tutorial in a video like this because there's something like 40 new pages of content. But can you give us a brief description of the new contents? Yeah, uh, in that chapter, that appendix is a very important one. It, it helps so much. And I have to give um, kudos to Timo Kunkel from Dolby, who has done a majority of work on, on, on that um, uh, tutorial. It describes like the causalities in a typical HDR imaging pipeline. It describes like, it answers questions like which formats and signal types and devices are needed, which types of content are valid for HDR, uh, what does a, a computer display do with HDR? How does tone mapping work? Where is perceptual mapping used? What are the important terms and standards? You know, all these burning questions where um, it is good to have a, an answer, to, to have an answer in mind. And then, of course, you can develop your own ideas. But this tutorial with all its diagrams and, and, and all the side info referring to standards, it's, it's really a good starting point. Um, something that you can keep on the table and, and, and use whenever, whenever you need something. I think it's useful not only for uh, people who are learning about HDR, but even for experts. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd also like to thank Timo for all the hard work he did uh, in, in writing that. And then the rest of us got to edit it and uh, further develop it with him. Um, Florian, it's been enlightening to explore the HDR ecosystem with you today. Uh, thank you for giving us your important perspective uh, on all of this important information. 
Well, thank you so much for having me here. Um, again, it was a great pleasure for me to um, contribute a little bit. Well, that's all for today, folks. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe and hit the bell for notifications when new episodes are released. Thanks again, Florian. Thank you, Brian. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.